Welcome to the Woman Warriors Podcast, where we're working to help you call a truce with your anxiety. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, here's your host, Elizabeth Cush, LCPC. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. Today, my guest is Lindsay Ellison. She is a relationship coach and founder of the Start Over Find Happiness um, coaching program. And she is located here in Annapolis. So I know Lindsay through multiple areas of my life, but uh, I'm so happy to have you here on the show today, Lindsay. Well, thanks for having me. Very excited to be here and talk to your awesome audience. Oh, awesome. So if you don't mind sharing a little bit about yourself and what got you into the work that you do, coaching people and helping people manage narcissistic relationships. Yeah. So um, I am, uh, I kind of call myself as a relationship coach, but I do specialize in divorce and breaking up. Um, I started my practice about six years ago. I was actually in a marriage that was, you know, I was married to a, a bit of a narcissist um, and I was with him for 17 years and to, married for 10. I met him early on in my college days, probably sophomore year is when I met him. So I didn't really know any better. Uh, right after college, the day I graduated, I packed my stuff, came down to Maryland and I've been here ever since. Uh, we started dating really early on and got married by 25, had two kids before 30. And then around the time I was 30, I kind of just said, what is going on? This mm. is not something, this is not a marriage I think I want to be in. Um, I always say at 30, you know, a lot of people, you know, speak to, to younger folks when they're 30. It's just, there's a, it's a time in our lives where I think we wake up a little Absolutely. bit. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, um, I started just questioning everything, you know, before that for, for years and years, I just went along with life just kind of as I was told. And, and I started just kind of having the clarity on wondering whether this was the kind of life I wanted to live. Mm. And for, you know, between 30 and 35, I went through a real, real struggle because I really thought it was all me. And, um, for, for those first five years after 30, from 30 to 35, I really thought the relationship was about me. I was depressed. I tried to fix me. I went to counseling and because I was saying to him, I think it's us. I think you need to go with me. And it was something that he just really didn't think the need to, to do. Mm -hmm. And the relationship was really very controlling and I didn't even know it. Yeah. And um, around 35, I just took me five years to really navigate through all of these thoughts and emotions. And mm -hmm. I finally, you know, through therapy, I finally said, I've, I've got to get out of this relationship. I was just getting more and more unhappy mm. and the more unhappy I got and the more boundaries I had for myself, the more he was threatened by me and those boundaries. Yeah, I bet. 
Yes. And I was learning that, um, you know, knowing now what I know about narcissism, when anyone has a boundary and expresses them, if you are with a narcissist, they go through what's called a narcissistic injury, Mm. which is basically it's a wound or a threat to their false sense of self, that they're great, that they're a great husband, they're a great parent, they're a great boss or coworker. And boundaries are like kryptonite to narcissists. They don't know how to handle them. They, um, it weakens them. So rather than being weak and navigating through their emotions, they will then have what's called narcissistic rage and will do a lot of things, whether it's through you know, emotional abuse, physical abuse, but um, his, core, his core toolbox, <laughs> mm-hmm. tool out of his narcissistic toolbox was passive aggression. And yeah just these backhanded, um, you know, a lot of gaslighting and a lot of just really kind of messing with, that's why it took so long for me to really know the difference between what's real and what isn't. And for anyone who doesn't know what gaslighting is, gaslighting is actually came from a 1940s film, Gaslight, where husband and wife are, yes, um, (laughs) husband and wife are married. And uh, over time, he he tampers with the gaslight, which is what they had for electricity back then. And they were kind of, you know, going off and on. And she was saying, I think the lights, there's something wrong with the lights. And he would say, no, there's nothing wrong with the lights. And he was doing that ultimately to make her crazy. Mm. So that's what I was really experiencing quite a bit. Once I got out of the marriage, and it was an incredibly hard thing to do. I was 35. No one at my age was doing, get, I didn't know anyone who was getting divorced. Of course. Um, I had two small children. They were four and seven at the time. And it, it felt like getting out of prison. Mm. It felt like I, an escape. Um, I had to leave pretty much all my stuff and like get a new house because he, you know, I had to rent a place. And mm. the divorce just that entire year was, um, you know, I look back at it and, and I can't believe I survived it. It was just a very, very difficult thing to do. Yeah. And uh, following that, I got into dating. Now, I haven't dated ever at all, other mm-hmm. than like freshman year of college. <laughs> um, so I had a, this is a whole new world with texting and online dating. And oh I gosh. ended up getting into a relationship probably six months after I had separated with a man who was a full-blown narcissist. Um, he made my ex-husband look like a saint. Mm. And, um, and that was that breakup. That was where I really hit rock bottom. Mm. And um, I heard the term thrown around, oh, that guy is such a narcissist. I didn't really know what it meant. And by the way, when I was leaving my husband, I really didn't ever classify him as a narcissist. I didn't even, again, didn't know what it was. and. Um, following that breakup and I, you know, I have a journalism background. That was my, my first kind of my degree in my career. Mm-hmm. I just got into research mode and I thought I've got to understand what the <laughs> hell just happened to me. Yeah. And the first book I read, uh, which was called Narcissistic Lovers. Mm. And it literally, I, I read it. I was standing in Barnes and Noble and I fell to the floor Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Crying from not only like, Oh my God, what just happened to me, but relief. Like someone knew what the hell I was going through. Right. Right. Like there's a name for this. This is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the way it was documented and written, it was, I remember just, I read the whole book. I don't think 
I didn't even left the store. I just read the whole, I mean, it was just reading and reading and reading. Yeah. And I learned the, the famous C word, which is codependent. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm. I, I, it, that book was the first of many that opened up my eyes to not only did I attract this man in my life, but my ex-husband was a narcissist. And then, oh my God, so was my father. And it really started to kind of map all these pieces, all the struggle for 20 some years of how I was raised and what kind of childhood trauma I went through. Mm -hmm. And, um, I thought, and then I had a solution. It was kind of like when you, when you have a diagnosis to a problem, you know how to fix it. Right. And, um, and so I found really kind of my own path of how to navigate through this. Um, one was from a clinical perspective and understanding this as much as possible, codependency and narcissism, Mm -hmm. childhood trauma, et cetera. But then I also did another path where I, um, really got into a, a kind of a spiritual, um, laws of the universe, just positive, positive thinking. And, um, I'd say, you know, people call it new age type, type reading. And I put those two together mm-hmm. and I got out of this whole situation and I got, I had clarity and I, I literally did a 180 with my life. And, um, and oh. that took a couple years. And so that. from then I, um, I ended up re- meeting my husband and getting remarried. And, uh, around that time after just, figuring it all out and being I'm a journalist, that's where I started writing articles and um, writing it. Uh, I became a writer for Huffington Post and my articles went very viral mm. and I hit a nerve. I, the way I was talking about it was in such a simple yet resonating format that that's how I got into coaching just because of people writing me saying, Hey, could you help me? So that's how I became a coach. Wow. Well, and I, you know, I'm just, guessing here, but I would imagine that your personal research and getting that, you know, sort of woo-woo energetic new age perspective and learning and energy allowed you to learn how to trust yourself. Because I feel like with narcissism, there is so much undermining, gaslighting, emotional abuse that leaves you just questioning the value and truth of anything that is yours or that you believe. Yes. Yes. And, and I, I'd say it's, you know, love myself on top of that. Yes. Um, those are yeah. kind of interchangeable love and trust, but yes. it, when you are with someone, whether it's a narcissistic parent or partner, romantic partner, they, Ultimately, uh, you know, it's, it's, you are conditioned to be loved on certain conditions, not unconditionally. Mm-hmm. So when you are loved on certain conditions, you lower the bar for yourself. You don't ask for anything more for fear of not getting what you already have or less than what you have. Right. And over time, by not, you not asking for things and you lowering the bar for yourself is really what blurs those boundaries, which I like to call swim lanes. The swim lanes kind of disappear. So you let people in and out of your life. You don't have the ability to say no. You tend to overcompensate for other people's um, bad actions. Um, You're the one who's always apologizing. Mm -hmm. And I had to get that back. And the trusting yourself and the loving yourself of knowing that I have a right to be loved. Mm -hmm. I 
will no longer be loved on certain conditions. I will no longer love others unconditionally for those who give me conditional love. Hmm. And it, it became, you know, the journey out of it is a little bit of a kind of a, kind of like I would say it's with cooking. You know, you have to, you have a recipe for things. You have to add your own seasoning to make it yours. Mm-hmm. And that's how it was for me. I had to just figure out, okay, well, you know, sometimes a post codependent or someone who's trying to recover out of codependency will then have a huge boundary mm. and then they're not letting anyone in. And that's not the way, where you want to go. Right. So it's, I always say it's um, boundaries with empathy mm. and how do you have boundaries and how can you always express them and love yourself? Uh, but having empathy for the other person, knowing that, you know, they may or may not get what it is that they want. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now for you, like within your practice, within your coaching business, how do you see um, narcissism, whether it's from a partner or a parent um, impacting women who struggle with anxiety as well? Like how do you see that connection? Yes. Well, I'd say a large portion of my clients have anxiety. Um, it, it definitely has been, um, especially if you're in, a, in an emotionally abusive relationship and then you get out, um, even if you're in it or whether you're out of it, I, I don't even know if it matters so much. It's, it's really kind of before you recover and realize how to recognize that this behavior belongs to them and not to you and to not own somebody else's behavior, which codependents and empaths generally do. Yeah. Um, I always say that it's, it's really the, your childhood and how you were raised is often the blueprint for how you're managing the people and circumstances and the existing anxiety around you. Um, when you have a, let's say a narcissistic parent, mom or dad or both, you are very, very, very highly likely to be in a narcissistic relationship, either romantically or you just attract them through work. You have a boss who's a narcissist. You have a girlfriend who's a narcissist. And when you don't have, again, it's back to boundaries. If you don't have boundaries and that kind of that self-love core within you, I always say it's like a, you have to think of a force field around you. Mm. You let other people's anxiety become your anxiety. Mm-hmm. So for instance, my ex, who's the narcissist, was very, he still is. I mean, I, I, I have to co-parent with him. Mm. He is a highly, highly anxious person. Yeah. And, and how I define his anxiety is, is the need for control, a lot of worry, um, helicopter parenting, um, kind of a, very much a dictatorship of how he likes to run the house. Mm-hmm. And not knowing that there's other people, it's not a democracy in the house. It's you know whatever whatever he says goes. Right. I recognize that 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 is a lot stems from his anxiety. Well, ultimately, it took me time to realize that that anxiety is his and it's not mine. Mm, interesting. And and because because what manipulative people do, um, you know, someone who who is not 
an emotionally intelligent person, as I call, or emotionally stable or emotionally available, mm -hmm. they have insecurities. And, um, you know, if you're a narcissist, you have kind of this false sense of self. You, you have grandiose thoughts about yourself. And their expectations of you are very high or very low, whatever. They're not in alignment with who you truly are. Mm -hmm. And they will ultimately manipulate you into thinking that you need to be better or worse or just fit to the mold of what, the, you know, what you're trying to be for them. Mm -hmm. And you take that on. Yeah. And you don't, you know, and, until you can recognize and say, all right, well, I have the ability. This is not, I'm, I'm going to sit and be calm and I know what am I truly thinking? I always have, you know, I'm not the, the one who created this, but um, it's, it's what is the story you're making up? Brene Brown yes. always says that. What's yes. the story you're making up about yeah. yourself? Yeah. What lie? You know, we are the best liars. We always worry about what everybody else is, whether they're lying to us or not. I'm like, let's start with you. <laughs> are you lying to yourself? And so when I'm first working with someone who has such anxiety about divorce and anxiety means they just have no, like it's foggy brain. They, they don't know what the next steps are. Right. It's, right. Just stuck in that. Yeah. Right. Stuck yeah. It's fear. It's worry that something bad is going to happen, happen to them. Oftentimes when I'm, I'm coaching someone through who is in the marriage, they, they're wanting to get divorced, but they just can't pull the trigger that they did. They're just too afraid. Mm -hmm. And so often they will say, um, you know, it's their worst fear that they're going to get physically hurt or they're going to lose the children or, you know, they're going to go bankrupt and be homeless. These really enormous worries. Yeah. And I get them to, to write down and, and just say, okay, what is the truth? And mm -hmm. what are you making up about this? And half the time, the truth is you don't know what you don't know. And let's talk about all of those. I always have my clients do an A, B, C, worst case scenario. A being the best, B being not so great, C being awful. Mm -hmm. And what are, how are you going to attack each one of those? And I've been doing this long enough where when they finally do it, and when they finally, let's say, serve the papers or move out or lock, change the locks, that it's never worst case. I've never seen it worst case. Mm -hmm. it's, it's somewhere in best case or even in the B section of just, it. yeah, it wasn't that great, but it was not nearly as bad as I thought. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and I think anxiety can lead you to that worst case scenario every time, like yes. whether it's reality or not. It's just like, you, and so like, I, I like that sort of breaking it down to like, what's the worst case and what's the not so worst case, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I do just want to highlight too, in a physically abusive, potentially whether the guy's narcissist or the partner is narcissistic or not, like that danger of leaving is different than like, yes, there can be real true physical danger in those instances, but that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, and there can be, I, I have, um, and I think that's where I come in to help them protect themselves the best yes, way possible. They're doing the steps to get to a safe place that they can leave safely. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So, so important. So, um, uh, so my perception, and I am fully going to admit that I don't know whether this is true or not, but my perception is that most narcissists are men. I don't know. Is that true? I don't know. That's not true. No. There you go. See, that's it's, good to know. 
um, there are various studies about it. Um, you know, the DSM did not recognize narcissism as a person, personality disorder until about five or six years ago. Yeah. So when that happens, you don't, you don't have a lot of data and um, those who are studying it, mm-hmm. but it's, I've seen studies where it's 60% men, 40% women, those of, you know, of the gender, uh, Mm -hmm. gender, not 60% of men are narcissists. It's 60% men are 40. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I have, um, I do coach men as well. And I have seen um, women, you know, their, their partners being narcissists as well, women, female narcissists. And um, it's, how they manipulate is often very different. Mm, interesting. And yes, it's very different. And, um, you know, obviously with men, they, they can use their existing power just because of the, of the gender power gap that we have right now. Um, they can use their existing power. They can use, um, obviously, their physical power over somebody. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, their financial power. You know, men and women just aren't making the same, and a lot of women are still at home with their yep. kids. Yep. Um, so those are kind of the three big ways of that they manipulate. But a woman, she'll often use her kids to, the female narcissist will use her kids to manipulate and she'll use the court system to pretend that she's this amazing mom. And, and I think courts are now leaning towards, um, you know, a, a more fairness, um, where they are going to see the dad's point of view, mm-hmm. but we're a long way away from that. And so I think they definitely use the court system to, to, to mm. manipulate uh, for their kids. I've also seen them do an amazing job brainwashing their children that your dad is such a jerk and, you know, oh, wow. um, you, 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 know what he, you don't know what he did to me, et cetera. So interesting that, um, and, and honestly, truthfully, like with clients that I work with, I know that I have clients whose parents, you know, it could be their mom or their father, their dad, who is the narcissist in the family relationship that then impacts mm-hmm. that that child or that woman or that client that I'm seeing. So to be fair, yes, I, I do recognize that men and women can both uh, have narcissistic tendencies. Um, so I know we touched on this a little bit, but, um, you know, are some of the people that you're working with coming to you because maybe their current relationship isn't, you know, with a narcissistic partner, but they are still struggling with having to interact with, work with a narcissistic parent that is, you know, messing with their head and getting into their business. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm working with a woman right now. She, um, her soon to be ex does not seem to be the narcissist, you know, again, just to clarify, um, narcissistic personality disorder is a spectrum disorder. So one can be um, narcissistic and have narcissistic traits, but then there's that full-blown personality disorder. So yeah, it's, that's why the word is so confusing to people because like a true narcissist for being, a, you know, or you're so narcissistic. So it depends on, on the type of behavior that, that makes them to have a, a full personality disorder. But I just wanted to footnote that. Yes. Um, and but I, I have a, Go ahead. I think people throw the term around very loosely as well. Like, oh, she's looking at herself in the mirror all the time. She's such a narcissist. You're like, no, that's not really what it is. (laughs) Yeah, not really. No. (laughs) Um, But um, 
the oh i have a i have i'm working with a woman now who's it's her mother um who is a true no i mean she she is a brilliant passive aggressor mm. brilliant at manipulating she uses you know she's a wealthy mother um and and she's in, extremely um they they belong to this evangelical church they are really using the religion to manipulate and to gaslight it's it's really un, unbelievable where mm. her soon to be ex is not so much the narcissist he's just kind of a follower mm -hmm. so she's her mother is literally cut her off completely mm. excommunicated her from the church basically did this whole scarlet letter like sunday chant about her own daughter and how she's like this evil person oh my gosh. um and has manipulated and um her son-in-law to completely leave her own daughter with nothing wow mm -hmm. that's extreme <laughs> yes, yes um and so i think you know it's it's very likely i think i always said I think I might have said earlier that if you've had a narcissistic parent, you are at high risk for falling in love or, or really just kind of being a narcissist, narcissistic magic, mad magnet. magnet. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and so when you get beaten down, especially if you have a parent that so that using that example is such an extreme, you really don't, you're afraid to speak up. Right. Because, because that was what, real, right? Yeah, and that's basically what my client did. Is she finally said, I can't do this marriage anymore. I can't do this. Mm. I, I just can't do this anymore. And she is getting the worst punishment because of it. And so that's really what happens is whether when we're with a parent, they will often, and I put in air quotes the word punish, but they do. They, there's a form of punishment. A punishment could be silence. It could be stonewalling. It could be gaslighting or passive aggression. So like, let's say, um, you know, if you're 13 and you know what, I'm actually just using this as my own childhood example because it just came up. So like, you know, when you're 13 and you say, Hey, and you can't drive and you're trying to be social. And if you say, Hey, I really want to go to my friend's house this weekend. Could I go? Which would require the parent to drive them, let's mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then the parent might say, you know, oh my God, you, you have been such a pain. Why do you need to be so social? Your friends don't like you anyway. You know, I have to drive you. Why can't you do anything yourself? Go take a cab, let's oh, say. Yeah. And it's, so then you realize, okay, I just spoke up, meaning I had a need, a basic need. Mm -hmm. And when that parent over and over is basically disqualifying your basic needs, you are conditioned to no longer speak up for yourself because it hurts. Absolutely. And it's not- So you take what you can get. So you take what you can get and then suddenly, you know, over time as you get to be older, you're like, well, I, I have to do, and I hear this all the time with my clients, um, is I do everything myself. I'm very independent. Mm -hmm. And I do find that even though in these relationships with people, um, I hear all the time is, even though I have anxiety, even though I'm a mess when I come home from work, I am fully functional at work. People think I am a superstar. 
Yeah. Why am I so outgoing? People, all my friends think I'm the one who's the strongest. Where meanwhile, when I come home, I, I, I feel like a fraud and I'm the weakest link and they don't even know. And that's a huge, that's a huge part of getting through this. I don't know if you see this with your client, that, that sense that you're a fraud creates anxiety. <laughs> Absolutely. It's almost as if there's this sort of external self that shows up in the world. And yet beneath that, you know, what they believe about themselves underneath is like, yeah, I am a fraud. This isn't really me that they don't know me, which creates a lot of anxiety. A lot. And I, I'd say, you know, I'll give you an example of the kind of anxiety that I had post divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, I had massive anxiety about money mm. and to this day I have to work on it. Hmm. I, ha I, um, when I pay bills, I have anxiety. I, I pull up, you know, like I, I can feel it. I have to like pull up my bank and I'm paying bills and, and I have, I have money. It's right. like, there's, I, I, there is no poverty. Mm -hmm. I've, and, um, I remember going through, you know, one therapist and she's like, have you ever, did you ever struggle with money? Did you ever not have enough when you were a kid? I'm like, nope. And I realized it was 17 years of being with someone who was highly anxious about money. Yeah. We never had enough in his mind. It was always, you can't afford that. Or I remember there were specific moments where I would buy something that I liked. I have a, a, a real traumatic memory of going to an antique store mm -hmm. with my friends. We went antiquing, girls day out. And I bought a mirror and I loved this mirror and it was $50 mm. and he came back. And when I showed it to him, he berated me and said, you did not ask me. I wish you just asked me for permission or not permission. He would have never used that word. That's too, that's too overt. Mm -hmm. um, he would have said, I I'm just disappointed. I, I wish you would run it, run that purchase by me because mm -hmm. I don't like the mirror. I think it's mm -hmm. ugly. I don't know why you spent that much money on that. And it was just over and over of never having enough. Um, he used to berate me about groceries. He would look at the receipt. He'd, he'd look at the cost per pound. And so it took me like a couple years after my divorce of like realize. So every time I would go pay bills, now that I'm single, I would literally have panic attacks. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Um, if, if I knew payday was coming, and again, it's not like I had zero dollars. I did at one point, but it, I was fine. I was never going to be homeless. You know, I've had good, good months and bad, but around when I'd get the bills, I would literally have panic attacks mm. to the point where, um, I mean, that, that, that has taken me a long time to get through. I am so much better, but it, it cracks me up because I still feel that way. I still have that anxiety that I've had to really work through. And how did I do that? I've had to go through a couple of releasing processes of, mm. you know, writing him a letter, not yeah. that he ever saw it, but I had to get it out and just yeah. say, your anxiety does not belong to me. We mm. did have enough. We did have, you know, you were the one who never thought. And, and I'm just saying, I no longer choose to own your thoughts and you're out of my head. Right. Like that's, like <laughs> you said before, like, that's not my story. That's it's not. Story. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which can be so powerful when you can connect the story to to somebody else, make it not yours. It's like, wait a minute, I don't have to own that anymore. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you were really trying to understand where the source of the anxiety is, like go through that, 
like sifting through all the people in your life, like who else was anxious about who worried or like what happened in my childhood? Mm-hmm. You know, did I witness a drowning and now I'm, I, I'm anxious about swimming or there, what's the connection there? Right. Um, yes. Yes. And I know it's, um, you know, and luckily I don't suffer from panic attacks. Um, like I know some people do and it's, mm-hmm. it is one of them. I have a client that has really suffers from them and they are very, very debilitating. Oh yeah. Um, but I, on the many panic attacks that I've had, I, I have empathy for anyone who goes through it because you, it, it's like, like you're having a heart attack. Oh I mean, yeah. You, you feel like you're dying. You definitely yeah. <laughs> feel like you're dying. Yeah. No, yeah. It's real. But I think again, it helps me to know that, um, I'm in control. I've had to say I'm in control. Mm-hmm. Nothing bad's going to happen to me. I know I'm fine. I'm, I am abundant. I feel great. So I always, um, have myself and my clients use what I call I am statements. Mm. Um, and just saying it to yourself over and over again, if you're feeling nervous, if you're feeling anxious about something, I will literally say out loud, I am abundant. I am, I have all that I need. I have enough. (laughs) And, um, and it, it, it really does work. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's bringing, it's almost, uh, sort of grounding yourself in reality. It's like, okay, well, yeah. What, what is the truth here? Like, am I struggling to pay this bill? No, I have enough. I can do this. And this doesn't have to be like the anxiety doesn't have to be connected with this. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So if you had uh, some, a tip or some resources, I know we've talked about Brene Brown and the book you read, The Narcissistic Lovers. Like, but are there other resources or tips that you feel like it would be important for the listeners to know about? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when I engage with with a new client, I, I generally give them um, kind of a re- some reading um, and as well as some videos to watch. So, uh, I'm a huge uh, believer of. Um, there it is. It was like I was having a brain fart and I remembered it. Um, <laughs> have you read The Four Agreements? No, but I have heard so much about it. So I guess I need to read that. I, yeah, my, my it's, book list is growing. It's kind of like, you know, intro to Lindsay 101 when I work with someone because it is such a simple book and mm-hmm. it's easy to read and it's very small and thin. It's a perfect bedside table. Um, but it's about the four agreements that you should have with yourself. And, um, I can't rattle them off in the top of my head, but I know that one of them or it's the second agreement is don't take things personally. Mm. And that is a big one that I find, you know, when, when I was dating, when I was in the corporate world and when someone does something bad or they misbehave or they do something hurtful, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, so that's a, it's, and it's one of those books that you're, you're going to have to read and reread. And, and then when you're having a bad day, you might have to flip to a chapter and read it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so The Four Agreements is, is one of my favorites. And um, Wayne Dyer, are you familiar with him? No. Mm-mm. I think someone else has talked about him too, though. Yeah. Yeah. Wayne Dyer, um, he is no longer in our world. I think he passed from cancer, I think, a year or two ago. But he is, I'd say, one of just the most peaceful, kind, you know, um, he has written hundreds and hundreds of books. Mm. Um, but he, he's a, I'd say he's a bit of a guru in his field in terms of, it's just about the pot, the power of positive thinking. And that's actually one of his books that I suggest people to read. There's also a great 
meditation app. I don't know if you've heard of it called Insight Timer. Yep. Yep. I have. I recommend it to clients clients all the time. Yeah. That is awesome. Um, You know, it's, it's like a crowdsourcing resource, crowdsourcing tool where even you, you know, could biz, you could like um, do your own meditations and, and submit them. So yeah, yeah. I have a friend who uh, has one of her meditations up there. So that's awesome. pretty cool. Yeah. 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 And um, I love it because they have music, they have just, you know, 10 minutes, five minutes, whatever you need. And meditation, um, if, if, if your audience is mostly struggling with anxiety, I cannot recommend meditation yeah, more I than anything. It is a, a daily practice for me. Daily. Yeah. I do it every day. I do it at night as you know, before I kind of drift off to sleep, I listen to, to something or one of my favorites because it sets me in a good mindset for the next day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Me too. I am a daily meditation person too. So it has changed my life. Yes. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. I really appreciated your honesty and candor around your own stuff, getting through the narcissistic relationships and healing and um, just giving some insight into what that process, the healing process looks like. Well, thank you. And um, if anyone, if, if you're a podcast listener out there, I have a podcast as well. Um, it, I have not added to it recently, but it is a shares several episodes of my journey where I interview um, other experts, other people that I've mentioned actually. So um, that name awesome. of the podcast is Start Over, Find Happiness, or nice. just type in my name in iTunes, Lindsay Ellison, or go to lindsayellison.com and you'll see the podcast there as well. Um, so yeah, I would love, uh, one of these days when I get back up and running, I'll have you on and talk about anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Well, uh, I will have all of your contact information and all of these wonderful resources in the show notes and, um, you can find Lindsay at lindsayellison.com. So thanks again for being a guest. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and subscribing to the Woman Warriors podcast. Music was written and performed by Andy Cush. If you'd like more information on this episode, you can find the show notes, the resources shared today, and links to the guests' profiles at womanwarriors.com.